uh, Hillary has been lengthening her excuses as to why uh, she lost the election. She didn't really lose the election. It was stolen from her uh, by, I think it's up to 24 different excuses she has now. Number 24 is content farms in Macedonia. And uh, as I said, uh, my grandfather was a uh, Macedonian content farmer. And uh, we often think about, you know, gathering on the porch and recalling the old days on the Macedonian farm. I never thought, he never thought that the old content farmers he left behind in Macedonia would one day steal the U.S. presidential election. They are gnarled, hardworking Macedonians. And welcome to episode 11 of the Macedonian Content Farmers podcast. My name is Jason Miko, coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in sunny Oro Valley, Arizona. And uh, this is Tritan Shulemana from calling in from Skopje, the foothills of Mount Vodno, snow covered right now, as apparently befits a country called North Macedonia. <laughs> uh, well, we kind of have to laugh, otherwise we would cry and um, do things that we don't want to do. Today is, uh, we're recording this on Friday, uh, January 25, 2019, the Greek parliament has, uh, uh, Alexis Tsipras, the prime minister, has uh, cajoled and coerced uh, enough members of parliament into passing the so-called PRESPA agreement. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, our our friends in the Greek government, our friends in the Macedonian government, our friends in NATO, the European Union, the United States of America, in the think tanks, uh, academia, uh, media, etc., doing their and who else? John Bolton. Exactly. Yes, are all they're all doing their victory dance, squeaking peace in our time, in a Neville Chamber Neville Chamberlain esque way. Uh, and so, uh, Svetin, I just wanted you to know I've been collecting uh, screenshots of a lot of these tweets because I think they'll be useful in the future when it just doesn't quite work out the way they all said it would. I mean, let's Nikola Dimitrov, the uh, uh, alleged foreign minister of the Republic of Macedonia, uh, today wrote, uh, he says, uh, today we write a new chapter in the history of the Balkans. Nationalist hatred, disputes and classes are now replaced by friendship, peace, and cooperation. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's nationalist hatred, disputes and classes are now replaced by friendship, peace, and cooperation. And we will force it if necessary. It will be it will be made so by decree. There will never be any more nationalist hatred disputes or clashes. There will only be friendship, peace, cooperation, puppy dogs, kittens, skittles, rainbows, and unicorns from now on. Unicorns let it be let it let it be written. Let it be so. It will uh, it will blow up in their faces. We'll have a lot to remind them of. Unfortunately, we already have a very thick dossier of things to remind them of, such as you know the ninety five agreement. Uh, when they, these same people, often, you know, literally the same people, not just their predecessors, saying that uh, this will bring now peace and stability in the region. We have uh, the 2004 U.S. recognition of the Macedonian uh, constitutional name, which obviously the U.S. is now going back on, when they also promised this ends the name dispute, so long as you give a little more concessions to the Albanians. Their statements after the Ohrid agreement, when we redefined our country, after Albanian guerrilla uh, aggression on us, uh, so, you know, there is a million of these things to, to go back to, and, and still we do the same mistakes over and over again. You know, the other thing is, um, I think it's important, to, you know, all, uh, all joking and, and everything else aside, uh, there's a lot of passion and emotion out there today. Macedonians are rightly upset, uh, as they should be. And I, and I posted, I said, you know, let that passion and emotion be channeled into righteous anger and then channel that into action, action to not only preserve, but to embolden and encourage Macedonians everywhere by the strengthening of the institutions of family, faith, and friendship in all of the forms it takes, neighborhoods, communities, associations, businesses, and 1,001 other things. Only through this can Macedonia and the Macedonians not just survive, but thrive. And, you know, a lot of people are, are, again, there's the righteous anger, there's the passion, the emotion going on today. And a lot of folks are asking, you know, what are the next steps? Uh, you know, from a dispassionate point of view, the government of Macedonia will now inform the United Nations that there's been a quote-unquote name change. The United Nations will then inform uh, the rest of the countries on the planet, uh, as well as multilateral organizations, that this name change has taken place. But obviously, Macedonians and friends of Macedonia, frankly, I think most people on planet Earth will not bother to say uh, the new name. We're all just going to keep saying Macedonia. 
And uh, to my point earlier, I think now is the time for Macedonians to come together, put aside their divisions, and start focusing on strengthening those institutions that I talked about a few minutes ago, family, faith, friendship, and all of the forms that it takes. And, you know, I think we talked about in the last uh, podcast, Svetin, that the boycott theorem guys and gals are, you know, never north, always Macedonia, and they're going to cross it out, etc. And we just keep doing that. We keep, um, it, actually, it's kind of funny, a real life example here, uh, as we look at Twitter, the live feed on Twitter, how many people are, are posting hashtag Macedonia and how, how many people are are, are posting hashtag North Macedonia, mm. and it's kind of interesting from a human human nature standpoint and a sociological standpoint to watch, you know, who's doing what and which way is it going to go. I don't know, but for Macedonians and for friends of Macedonia, it's always going to be Macedonian. We're always going to say and write Macedonia, and we're going to do whatever it takes to strengthen the institutions that make Macedonia strong. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of anguish here, a lot of uh, uh, discontent uh, bubbling up. We'll see if it uh, if, if it will affect. Uh, in the coming elections or in uh, some other form, um, there is no really much use of uh, you know being uh, moping around. We all feel like you know, like Leonard Cohen said, like uh, my father or my dog just died. You know, it's a horrible feeling of def defeat across the country. We'll see what happens next. As you say, uh, we should be joining NATO soon. Greece will have to vote again on our NATO membership. Uh, what happens afterwards? Do we, once we get the NATO uh, veto power, would the U.S. embassy here, the European politicians, still be powerful enough and uh, uh, you know able and willing to continue controlling Macedonian political developments to the minute? To the they're literally selecting who will get to be the opposition uh, member of parliament at this point, who will get to be the pretend Russian in the story, etc. If they um, if uh, joining NATO actually means uh, asserting some kind of say in the decision-making there, we can expect that this, but also the future uh, election of uh, right-wing uh, Prime Minister of Greece uh, in Mitsotakis, who has twice rejected the, the deal in Parliament yesterday and today and said that he will block Macedonia for the EU regardless of the deal, right. we can expect that uh, you know, this deal will fall apart uh, while Macedonia is in NATO, but when it tries to join the European Union with acrimony inside NATO, with uh, uh, you know Macedonian representatives flatly refusing to go by the name of uh, Northern Macedonians, uh, obviously if Macedonia also elects conservatives soon. So you know this is uh, one potential path. You know uh, where we'll make the bastards who did this to us pay from the inside. Well, actually, yes, and and as we've as we've talked about, so yes, so there's a couple of there's a couple there's a couple there's a lot of problems with this whole thing. One is the actual implementation of it, and uh, all of the little details over the next five years that have to be done. Two, as you mentioned, uh, new democracy gets into power in in Greece, and they're going to throw up roadblocks. We haven't mentioned again, as we do frequently, Bulgaria and what roadblocks they're going to throw up in terms of uh, NATO membership for Macedonia. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the whole issue of how and, – and I see more and more writers and others bringing this up, which I think is a good sign. And again, as we've talked about and we've written about, um, the whole concept of democracy and the whole uh, – the, the democratic institutions in Macedonia and in Greece have been severely damaged along with re the reputation of NATO and the European Union and the United States of America. Their reputations have been thrashed amongst Macedonians. But this, the damage that has been done to the concept of democracy and institutions of democracy is going to be very difficult to undo. Um, there was a, um, a, actually a Greek writer, um, I don't have his name here, but uh, writing in Time magazine mm -hmm. that talks about you know, the political process and the problems there in both Greece and Macedonia and how Cyprus and Zaya have achieved their quote-unquote majorities barely – in both through bribes, threats, intimidations, amnesty, etc. Um, let's see, as I'm scrolling down here, through you know the fact that in both countries it was massively unpopular. Mm -hmm. So there's no public support for the so-called Prespa Agreement in either Greece and Macedonia. And and how you get how you achieve peace and and um, uh, sweetness and light eternal, as Nicola says, uh, when when the populations of both countries hate it. I don't know. You can't force people to like each other. 
you can't force people to love each other. Yeah, this was a rare article which actually explained how members of parliament in both countries were bribed and blackmailed in Macedonia with criminal charges drummed up, you know, particularly for this goal to to get to uh, uh, the majority and uh, how it's uh, because the populations rejected it, Macedonians rejected it in the referendum and Greeks did not even get a referendum. So again, one, one option is that uh, we reassert, you know, uh, nationalism erupts, erupts again in both Macedonia and in Greece as, as response to this. The other way, obviously, is that, uh, you know, death by a thousand cuts, uh, you know, daily indignities, daily assaults on the Macedonian identity lead to, uh, you know, as you mentioned, there's the Bulgarian agreement under which we are supposed to begin identifying ourselves as Bulgarians, uh, shared histo- history, shared uh, historic figures, Bulgarian uh, politicians and historians will start writing Macedonian uh, history books, uh, the Bulgarian government and the Greek government will have a say in Macedonian public discourse, so if you uh, insist on spreading uh, a point of view on history or on uh, current developments uh, which does not sit well with Athens or Sofia, they will have all right to block us uh, from seeing this and threaten us, you know, if you don't shut this person up, uh, your EU uh, accession talks will suffer. So, um, again, this was, this is also going to backfire, even to the Greeks who, who wish, wish this to happen, because this pay, path lies uh, a Macedonia divided in a Macedonian slash Bulgarian uh, east and center, central part, Albanian west, with no fixed border, which is always a recipe for civil war in the region, or uh, an enlarged Bulgaria, which will then, uh, you know, Bulgaria also has certain claims on the heritage, the history, and especially the rights of Macedonians, which it considers Bulgarians in modern Greece. So, you know, uh, Greece might might find itself uh, facing a greater Albania and a greater Bulgaria as a result of this process, and not... uh, largely friendly uh, buffer state, which Macedonia was for a very long time, discouraging all other nationalisms, keeping war away from several hundred kilometers away from the Greek border when Serbia was in war. Uh, And, you know, the collapse of Macedonia may actually uh, create a lot more problems for Greece, even though Greeks were wishing this would happen for so long, publicly. And and thank you, Sven. You bring up a very good point about nationalism. I was just alerted... um an hour ago to an article in the UK's Guardian today signed by 30 quote-unquote top intellectuals decrying quote-unquote nationalism and they actually write well two things first of all the title the title of the article fight for Europe or the wreckers will destroy it which I find fascinating because wrecker is a Soviet era term to decry nationalists kulaks and wreckers yeah kulaks and wreckers yeah yeah saboteurs um innocent people so the soviet union labeled them as wreckers uh which was the translated word and now this group of quote-unquote 30 top intellectuals is using this word wreckers to uh, and applying that to nationalists and people who actually believe in their identity and the concept of sovereignty and the nation state and these 30 top intellectuals write quote never mind that abstractions such as, quote, soul and, quote, identity, often exist only in the imagination of demagogues. So these 30 top intellectuals are believing that identity is an abstraction and it's only in the in the imagination of a demagogue. And I find that just incredible. They must must all be atheists, number one. But that leads me to other atheists, not just George Soros and his Open Society Foundation, but one of his employees in Brussels, Sergeant Sevicic, uh, I believe is how I pronounce his name, he writes a, a, a recent article. It's 20-some-odd pages. It's all about, quote-unquote, he calls it North Macedonia. Um, and uh, actually, no, the article that I'm referring to is in Euronews. He says, quote, action by both Greece and the European Union would open a trajectory for integration for North Macedonia. Equally important – they could show other political leaders in the region, including those in Serbia, Kosovo, and Bosnia and Herzegovina, that compromise pays off, and that sacrificing entrenched notions of national identity to secure a common European future is worthwhile. So, do you catch that? He called it mm. 
he wants them to sacrifice, quote, entrenched notions of national identity for that common European future, which is a European superstate. And that's the direction that Europe and to a lesser extent America is going towards a, a, a national – and they actually call it – they call it a sovereign Europe as if it's a state of its own, which it is not. But that's, that's the idea behind the European Union where people – where nations give up ever more of their sovereignty forever closer union in a European superstate ruled by imperialists located in Brussels. End of rant. Uh, well, allow me to uh, do a rant rebuttal, I guess. Yes. Uh, uh, we, uh, there was, first, uh, you mentioned the, the saboteurs, the kulaks, and all those expressions. In Yugoslavia, the communists would say, uh, It translates, uh, it's a longer phrase, but it translates as those who would... Uh, uh, put sticks in the wheels of our progress as it moves forward. And, uh, you know, it's great on many levels because, you know, as you always say, they, they, they see themselves as, uh, and Nikola Dimitrov sees himself as uh, inexorably driving always forward and they know the destination and, you know, all of us in the back shouting, you missed an exit, you know, you're going to crash us into the, uh, into the overpass, etc. You know, well, shut up, what do you know? Uh, but it's the same people who used to say these kinds of things about kulaks, saboteurs, and uh, uh, you know this uh, Serbian language phrase that are now, are now the, the ones who insist that the, the EU, the NATO, is the path forward, this incarnation of EU and NATO, and uh, with their top-down bureaucratic approach. Again, these people are, their supporters here are absolutely philosophically, morally, uh, completely grounded in the wrong. And, you know, I had some, some people, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, quip at me that uh, all of a sudden I'm on the same page with Greek nationalists who consider me a subhuman, who would call me a gypsy scopian, tsiganoscopian, etc., you know, who would, you know, humiliate me any chance they got. And then you have, you know, Panos Kamenos, he's on the, uh, in the Greek parliament with a picture of Zaev and Soros, in Davos, obviously, they met. Where else would they meet? Uh, and he says, this is the background of, the, of what they're pushing. Uh, post-national, uh, multicultural, you know, open society of no borders, no nations. Um, ethnicity and nation-state is a social construct, as Tzvid says, etc. And, you know, people tell me, well, you're on the same side with Kamenos, who considers you a, you know, a, a smelly subhuman. But I, I have a turf fight with Kamenos. I have a turf fight with uh, other nationalists who some of them would tweet at me approvingly and actually somebody even invited me to the protest on, uh, in front of the Greek parliament. Uh, we do not argue on the principles. We agree that there is, there is supposed to be a nation state with defined borders. Uh, I suppose, I mean, obviously Kamenos is a uh, you know, far out there, but, you know, if you look at the new democracy, we agree that family is important, we agree that this nation-state should have a free economic model, etc. We only disagree on whether the border should be drawn uh, at Mount Olympus, at Litohoro, or uh, if it should be drawn uh, just south of Bitola and south of Gevgelia, as it turned out when, once they occupied the region. We take the leftists in Greece, I have a profound moral and ideological disagreement with them. They do not believe in nations. They do not believe in families. They do not believe in God. They uh, would throw it all out the window, but they're marginally nicer to me. They're marginally less prepared to insult me to my face than uh, the Greek right-wingers were. And, you know, with the Greek right-wingers, I have this fight which the Crips and the Bloods have in, in uh, L.A. or in... Uh, uh, New York, they're fighting over territory, but they're, I, you know, organizations which are similar, uh, have similar values, if you can call them, uh, and uh, it's just you're born on one end of the street or on the other, but you believe the same things with them. But the left is something completely out of this world. It's anti-civilizational. And this is what Soros will do. Uh, Zayev could have said, I'm meeting this guy uh, this billionaire uh, philanthropist or, or full-on rapist, as uh, Charlie would say in uh, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What is it that you do again? I work, I'm like a janitor. I'd, um, I'm a full-on rapist, you know? Um, I 
Africans, dyslexics, children, that sort of thing. And um, he says, he could have said, we're discussing investments. No, no, he says, we're discussing multi the future of multi multiculturalism, what we plan to do next in our uh, efforts to remake the world. And it's delusional, but, you know, they're apparently going to have a good shot at making their wish come true, including with what is happening in the U.S. right now, there is going to be no border. Trump is about to be arrested, or at least everybody around him. The the the, the chance the U.S. had and the, the chance we had, we're frittering it away, and the left is going to have a, uh, a have a go at it. And we know how it ends. Yeah, it, and it's it's not. I think it's I think it's yeah. I think it's important to point out. It's not just we don't want to place all of the blame with our friends on the left, although they certainly deserve a large amount of it. There are some people on the right who would be considered as the imperialist. Uh, uh, imperialists and authoritarians and uh, that, that are a part of this move towards one world or global governance. I call it the cult of global governance. And th th our friends on the right, some friends on the right, uh, elitists that do that you know, for their pocketbooks ultimately. Uh, and they have, uh, you mentioned morality somewhere in there a few minutes ago. And, and yeah, th these people are all morally bankrupt uh, as they march towards this idea of a, of a cult of global governance and imposing it upon everybody because um, they believe it'll bring peace and prosperity and if you don't want it too bad it will be forced upon you I mean this is what so many writers of the last century uh, especially you know people like Orwell and Solzhenitsyn warned us about and you know especially a lot of the young people today whether they're in America or Europe just don't see this uh, because they're just too they're too damn young and they, you know, there are certain things that age brings with it, and one of them, one of those things, is knowledge and experience and wisdom. And here's the funny thing about that: you actually have to live a number of years before you can have experience and knowledge and wisdom. It doesn't come at age 25 or age 29. AOC. Oh God! Now she's gonna call into this podcast to call us out. She's calling out all the media outlets. But AOC, you noticed. She's actually like best friends with with Trump. How, how they go go against the Washington Post together? I guess at one point we, we might actually have a, a Trump Cortez ticket in 2020. But yeah, I mean, obviously the U.S. is going to give it a try. I uh, especially you know with demographic changes with uh, um, no. I think I think this was the last chance. Uh, you know, Trump was the last chance. And, you know, for me, at this point, it's very important to be proven right. Ideally, I would be proven right if, you know, Trump uh, succeeds in the United States, redoes the economy and brings some semblance of a nation state, you know, the creedal nation state, as you would always say, but still, uh, to the United States. And this is uh, has caused a wave across the world from Brazil to uh, India and uh, throughout Europe. And, you know, and if this again succeeds, and in Macedonia, if we're able to fight this off, this attempt to uh, do us away as a nation and turn us into an amorphous mass of uh, fluid identities. But obviously, it's not going to happen. I mean, I, I wished for a while it's going to happen, but obviously it's not coming. Right. So the next way to be proven right uh, is to give them a chance to, to try it. And then, uh, of course, if we survive it, and many will not, as usual, uh, will be able to lecture them on it. That, that, yeah, sure. But that, that's always, that's always, you know, and, and kind of drawing a parallel, uh, Svetin, there have been a number of folks uh, in, in the Republican Party and, and conservatives who said, let's go ahead and let, let the Democrats have control of the entire government and they'll do such a bad job that the people will want to have uh, conservatives and Republicans back in power. And I just can't subscribe to that theory because I think too much damage will be done. They'll literally destroy everything that we have worked to build up. And again, I'm talking about the United States, but I think the same thing applies is that if you allow these people to have their way and take control, uh, th they will take control and then they will uh, either enslave you or jail you, one of the two. Uh, and then there's just no going back. Yeah, I know, but uh, on the other hand, our task at reforming, it's actually gone so far uh, in undoing the society that our task at reforming it back, or it, we're not, no longer talking about conserving. It means you have to take very powerful 
forward measures to right. uh, you know privatize uh, the retirement system, uh, reprivatize or in your case or in our case privatize healthcare, um, you know restore some kind of family life which is beyond obviously beyond the power of any elected politician. It, it, it takes a culture cultural change, yes, a lifestyle change. So you know it's not going to happen. I mean, for a while, Gravsky had us thinking that we're going to have uh, a properly functioning free market nation state in the Balkans, while, uh, you know, thousands of kilometers to our west, uh, throughout Europe, some of the oldest, the most important cities of Europe are uh, undoing, redoing themselves, um, similarly to what, you know, the US inner cities have turned into uh, in the past, and uh, it's delusional. I mean, you, you cannot be this lone outpost uh, while everything around you is collapsing. And, uh, you know, maybe Eastern Europe, the Visegrad states, and I said, as I said, if, we, if this ends with Macedonia joining the EU, hopefully uh, we will be part of this Visegrad group and contribute to, you know, this Eastern Bloc, which uh, is trying to uh, stem the tide. But, uh, you know, you've... Uh, Berlin, Paris, and London are too far gone to paddle them back, and uh, uh, I don't know. Right, but, well, you know, you, just to go back to what you just said there about, you know, if we join the EU, meaning Macedonia, I mean, look, here we are, this is the beginning of 2019. If Macedonia actually joined the EU, it would not be at least until 2027, 28, 29, 30, if that, if the EU lasts that long. Um, you know, and in the meantime, who knows what's going to happen? Um, I just don't. I, I get your point about being within and then being able to change it all, but I don't think the European Union is going to change it. It's 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 a um, what's the uh, parallel? I think it's O'Sullivan's law that says that uh, institutions that are not fundamentally and at their heart and at their core conservative over time will become left or liberal. Yeah. And I think it somewhat applies to the European Union. The European Union is not at its core fundamentally a uh, economic uh, project designed to increase wealth among the in, amongst the individual nation states of Europe. It is at its core an imperialistic authoritarian super state designed to take power away from the individual nation states of Europe, take the choice away, take the the, the role of the individual parliaments of the nation-states who are elected by the people of the nation-states, the EU is designed to take all that away and give itself more power and grow, and it cannot be reformed. I think this is a point that uh, the Brexit, one of the leaders of Brexit, Daniel Hannan, who is a member of the European Parliament, makes uh, in the Telegraph last week. He said, the EU at its core is a fundamentally undemocratic project. Yeah. At the start, you know, if, if somebody tells you, well, we're doing a free market zone between all, all of these uh, split countries of Europe, and, you know, what's there not to like for a conservative free marketeer like you and me? Right, but then, absolutely. Fast, but then fast forward 20 years, and suddenly they have a flag, they want, they want to rise at the flagpole, and they have an anthem, and you're saying, like, excuse me, did we take a wrong turn along the way? It's in, in unrecognizable from what it was supposed to be at the start. And, and again, what do we contribute to EU as a member? What does it do for us? It, it's nothing. Uh, the, the benefit of the deal, which, was, which everybody insisted on, uh, as for NATO, we would join all NATO missions, American-led missions in Iraq, Afghanistan, no, no questions asked, to the highest extent of our abilities. Uh, now Macedonians detest NATO after NATO decided to have, you know, the U.S. decided to have Albanians in Macedonia and this godless post-national communist, uh, I don't even want, you know, I don't want to waste the word, delete on them uh, as their allies and to undo Macedonian, Macedonia as a nation-state. Uh, as for EU, we are uh, part of the free market, we trade with them, we travel there. Loads of people work in Germany, even though we do not have access, you know, direct access to their labor market. But, you know, I was just talking to somebody this morning. Yeah, sure, couldn't f figure out a way to live here, to work here, went to Germany. Um, no papers, nothing. They're just going there and working. So um, what else do we get for all of this? Grief. Uh, all this regulation applying to us. Uh, we're losing our country and we get nothing. Yeah, no, you, you get grief and you'll like it. 
yeah. that's what you get. You can't object to it. Uh, and, and Greece, what, what did Greece do for the EU and vice versa? They ruined each other. And now, like everybody forgot that uh, the complete meltdown like five years ago. And they're saying, no, Macedonia will join the EU and it's going to be great. And Greece is uh, supportive. Is everybody crazy? Did I, did I forget? Did I dream the everything happening since 2010 until like literally yesterday? Actually, you bring up you bring up a very good point. And as students of both history and human know that in today's um, hyper-connected instant communication world, that literally our brains are being rewired to um, think about things, and 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 we're consuming so much information that we're we're thinking about it, we're processing it, and then we're forgetting about it. So, two thousand ten is you know might as well be a hundred years in the past yeah. uh and so people forget that actually there was a katamarini article the other day that talked about how since 2010 the average greek household their net worth has gone down by 27 percent mm. and they're a european union member that's what you're going to get in the european union and we know that the global economy is once again slowing down the uh, Chinese economy only grew, and, and I put that in quotes, air quotes, only grew by 6.6% last year, which for any country would be fantastic. But for China, no. It's the slowest it's been in 30 years, in three decades. And when China catches a cold, the rest of the world mm -hmm. catches a cold. Uh, and so, the, the, yeah, so the, the fundamental idea behind the European Union as an economic union to bring prosperity and wealth to the individual nation states uh, – that is being challenged because of, of, of what's going on and, and because of their own bad economic decisions, et cetera. And they tend, there's a number of states in, in Europe that tend to be Keynesian in their outlook. Mm. Um, but here we are talking about, you know, the future. Why don't we, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about uh, elections because we have both elections coming up in uh, the European Union. We have presidential elections in Macedonia and we have elections coming up in the Hellenic Republic. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break. This is the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. This is Cvitin Chelimanov and we have uh, Jason Miko online from the United States. And because going through the decline and fall of uh, the Western civilization, sober is no way uh, to do it. Uh, Jason, you're drinking something there. Yeah. Yeah, well, during the break, I, I, I ran into the kitchen and, uh, the, you know, Mastica is the official drink of the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. This week, here, here. I am drinking a, a, a lovely glass of Tchaikovsky. Mastica. There aren't a lot of, you know, uh, producers of Mastica in the Republic of Macedonia, uh, but this one, uh, Tchaikovsky Wines and Spirits, uh, little village uh, Kranjevo, right outside of Kavadarci. Uh, my friend uh, Biliana, her father makes this, and this is just, can you smell that? Oh, no, you can't. This is, you can't. This is a podcast. You can't, but let me just, let me just taste this. Mmm. Man, oh man, it, you know, again, as I, oh man, and Every time I have a sip of Mastica, uh, I am 
instantly transported back to Macedonia in thought and uh, in spirit. Uh, let's talk up on it. Greeks will be ask, demanding that we uh, rename it as Isuzo pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm looking. At, I'm looking at my bottles of uh, Grozny Mastica and uh, Trakowski Mastica, and you know, they both say "Made in Macedonia" or "Product of Macedonia." And I'm, uh, you know, just wondering, uh, you know, when will the um, the uh, stormtroopers of the of the Zayev government come in and demand that yeah. they uh, relabel those products? Uh, but anyway, that's another subject for another time. We said we were going to come back and talk about elections. Uh, let's do this in uh, a calendar order. And since the Greek elections could be as soon as March or as late as October, um, and I think that the fact that, that Tsipras got the PRESPA agreement through Parliament in the fashion that he did through uh, strong-arming folks, we don't know the extent of bribery uh, and corruption. I'm, I'm assuming it's even greater than the degree to which it was in Macedonia, but he's going to suffer. And a lot of people have said he's going to suffer, and everybody knows that, and he knows that, and uh, Mitsutakis at New Democracy knows that. So they could have elections as soon as March, I think, mm -hmm. and the the expected outcome is what? Is New Democracy to be the new government of Greece, yeah, correct? Yeah. Uh, so then, then the only question is, when New Democracy wins, do they have 150-plus seats out of the 300 unicameral legislature, or do they have to do a coalition with somebody? That's going to be the big question. And I think I think we see. Uh, I think she's angling to come back as foreign minister. Um, Dora the Explorer, mm -hmm. uh, Dora Bakiana, uh, Bakiana uh, coming back. She's already been foreign minister once. I think she wants to come back again. She's pushing for uh, some uh, international position at this point. I suppose. Oh, is she? I think okay. We're gonna All right. get, uh, ah, okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So anyway, so Greek elections coming up um, soon. Macedonian elections. I understand that uh, the two main parties, uh, Sirisum and Vumro de Pamene, are both, uh, uh, at least Vumro has a, a, a transparent process in place. And correct me if I'm wrong, the whoever wants to run has to say they want to run by the end of this month. And then middle of next month, February, there will be a Congress yeah. uh, to choose that candidate. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So far, we have one candidate, Vladko Djurcev, is out and running. Uh, uh, you know, he's a strong conservative, he's a, a good Macedonian patriot, he was uh, uh, leading protests uh, and organizing for uh, Macedonian Macedonian issues uh, since he was in uh, high school. I, I know him since those days and, uh, you know, uh, and also married to an American, ex yeah. exceptionally attuned to, to the American conservative scene. Uh, you know, he is one, certainly one option we could... Uh, look into depending obviously which uh, scenario begins to develop in, Mas in Macedonia do we uh, try to make the best out of this or is this going to go south he could he could be useful either way honestly in my opinion uh, so far no no other candidate has uh, announced a nomination uh, and uh, they would have to have to hurry up if anybody wants to challenge Vladko for this yeah, well, I know Vladko has been, and 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 Vladko, Vladko has been a friend of mine since ninety six, ninety seven. So I've known him for over two decades, and I agree with you. I think he's, I think he's smart. He, he knows the system. He's conservative. He's pro life. He's pro family. He loves Macedonia. He will defend Macedonia. Um, I will certainly, uh, I, I would support him if I could vote there. I can't. Um, and uh, as you said, he's the only one out there. But he's also getting support from other. Um, uh, figures in Macedonia asking for support, which is what you do when you're running for office. You ask for support. Um, but switching over to Sirisum and Dewey, we've heard a couple of names. I think you mentioned the other day, or maybe it was somebody else, that Zayev always goes back on his promises. So he might even go back on his promise not to run for president and might run for president. What's the latest that you hear the way, there? The way things are going now, he's uh, apparently preparing uh, Oliver Spasovsky, the despicable interior minister. Spasov? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Proliver, as we call it, uh, and uh, he would be the basically the uh, Zayev candidate in this race. But uh, Nikola Dimitrov is giving interviews left and right, trying to capitalize on this big win as he sees it. Uh, so he would obviously, uh, this would not sit well with him. And there are plenty of other uh, social democratic people from, you know, they have this... Uh, a peasant wing, uh, the Murtino wing, which would be Zayev and Spasovsky. They have this urban a fat uh, wing around Shekerinska and a bunch of other people like yeah, yeah. Diskovska 
in Damian Manchevsky. And obviously now they apparently have an Albanian Islamist wing around Muhammad Zakiri, who is ah, very yes. loudly, also very, very loud lately. So this is their third, the third stool of their uh, coalition. Uh, this evening they're discussing whether they would have uh, they would agree to the Vimarat demand that there is also early general elections together with the presidential elections. And uh, the uh, main, uh, you know, uh, criticism of uh, Vladko's uh, campaign so far has been that maybe he should uh, not run and, uh, you know, maybe Vimarat should boycott the elections and once the presidential elections fail, uh, then uh, as the referendum failed, and obviously without Vimarat, uh, SDSM and Dewey cannot count on a 40% turnout, which is requisite to elect the president. So if the presidential elections fail in April, this would mean that uh, uh, another political crisis and then this would lead to early general elections. But, you know, SDSM could uh, uh, pull the trigger as early as this evening uh, and decide that to hold early elections, uh, general elections anyway, in which obviously there will be a presidential candidate on Vimara and on SDSM as well, uh, and uh, give Macedonia a chance to wipe the slate clean, which is you know badly needed at this point. I yeah I, I get that. I think it's a risky strategy in that this uh, okay. Let's say you you boycott the presidential elections, you don't get the turnout of forty percent, but then you know Jaffari becomes the actual acting president forever. How long it takes to organize elections again? And I think he could do. He's already done damage. He's going to continue to do damage. He would do more damage as acting president. And how long could that go on for? I don't know. Something to think about. Mm, yeah. And then and then we've got and then we've got Bessa and the Alliance who are going to want to have their own candidate if they can agree or field their own or, or field uh, a joint candidate or their own candidates, which is I think is going to further divide the Albanian bloc. Oh, the situation here is uh, despicable, as you could imagine. We have uh, Zakiri uh, in the name of SDSM. The Albanian wing of Lissa Dema, as it's called in Albanian. Uh, he's arguing with uh, Dewey over uh, which candidate would be the greater Albanian, and they're literally at this point, they're dragging out this uh, this horrible Yugoslav foreign minister oh. who did not want to even have an independent Macedonian state, but we had him as foreign minister, uh, whose father wrote the uh, anthem of Macedonia, but who is now prepared to change the anthem. Uh, his father wrote and all these things and they're now discussing whether his mother was really Albanian or not and if she was you know they're literally counting red blood cells it's it's bloody hell uh, it's horrible but uh, then Dewey lost a lot of votes to SDSM in 2016 when the US embassy literally told Albanians to vote for SDSM so SDSM could lose by a smaller amount small by a lesser degree to Vimara so now Dewey wants uh, you know, wants to challenge SDSM, wants to try to get to muscle back in on its turf. It might uh, be risky for them. They might uh, lose to the Alliance or to Besa, who were uh, pushing Zayev to give them concessions on these uh, uh, sugar rush Albanian issues, nationalist issues during the negotiations. So it's all, you know, I mean, half of me really wants to go the boycott way and just ignore the whole thing and uh, you know, sip mastica somewhere and uh, watch it all burn down as it inevitably will. On the other hand, you know, uh, this is where they would always get us. We, we, we have this uh, drive in us to try to build the country and protect the country, unlike the left and uh, obviously the Albanian politicians here. So, uh, you know, the people voted for Vemera, did not betray Vemera. The people voted for... Um, uh, you know, boycotted the referendum, did not give up the name, and it would be a dereliction um, uh, of duty if you know just you know abandon uh, if you just abandon uh, the majority of Macedonians here who have no other place to go and uh, would be stuck with uh, the consequences. So you know, this is the choice: mitigate the horrible consequences, or just you know say you know screw, screw this, I'm I'm out of here. Just uh, can't wait for it to blow up. Well, at some point, uh, you know, somebody's going to win the presidential race in Macedonia, and you know, I would, I would hope that that everybody, you know, from our side, you know, looks at it uh, from a strategic standpoint and, and works through these processes to figure out what's the best course of action. Uh, but 
beyond that, and, and those elections will take place, I think the rumor is late April, uh, but we also know that the European Union elections, uh, which changes the, the parliament and then affects the the, uh, the, the, the council and, and etc., will take place in May over a couple of dates in May. I forget the dates. Um, but I want to go back to this Guardian article that I referenced earlier by these quote-unquote 30 top intellectuals because they write about it. And, and, this, and this is what they say. They say, quote, this is the noxious climate in which Europe's parliamentary elections will take place in May. Unless something changes, unless something comes along to turn back the rising, swelling, insistent tide, unless a new spirit of resistance emerges, these elections promise to be the most calamitous that we have known. They will give a victory to the wreckers. A politics of disdain for intelligence and culture will have triumphed. There will be explosions of xenophobia and anti-Semitism. Disaster will have befallen us. The sky is falling. The world will be ending in 45 minutes. That, that last part. That last part. I just my own uh, my own uh, uh, ad ad. Uh, added a commentary on that. Um, so, yeah, they're worried, obviously, about, um, you know, the Hungarys, the Polands, and the Italys of this world. Uh, yeah, they're, they're worried about Hungary and Poland, the countries with the growing economy and no terror attacks, uh, and they're not worried about the meltdown further west. I mean, it's unbelievable. The one thing I, uh, I care about right now, you know, again, under my first scenario, under which we try to mitigate the damage to us, but bring the pain to, to the people who caused this in their cherished institutions in Brussels and, and Washington uh, and, you know, NATO in Brussels, uh, that uh, I was counting how many seats would we get in the European Parliament. And I see uh, Latvia, for example, is similarly sized to Macedonia and it has uh, 10 seats. I imagine it will be far less. I thought like four or five. 10 seats actually uh, in a protest election, which would happen, obviously not for this this. European Parliament, but in the next one, uh, well, I'm pretty sure we would get about six or seven uh, uh, very angry, very solid pro-Visegrad votes out of this, and then uh, two or three Albanians who would, you know, by all account would be Islamists, or uh, if, you know, if Muhi has his way, or uh, these Turkish-style Islamists of uh, Besa. So, yeah, it, we would be a, make a very fine contribution to the EU, and I, I can't wait for this. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. There's going to be a lot of, of, of talk and bluster uh, and everything else coming up uh, in the lead up to those elections, and uh, it's it's always going to be it's going to be fun to watch. Well, I think we're running over our planned uh, uh, length for this episode. Are we going to do the farmers' picks? Are we going to? No, I think we're going to have to postpone farmers' picks to next next yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, okay. Bloody hell. Um, it's been great talking to you as always. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Who knows what the future holds. But we do know that uh, it will always be Macedonia. And I know we'll be proven right because everything the other side is pushing for runs against everything we know about human nature and how people react. And uh, it's just going to end badly for all involved. <laughs> and on that happy note, Svetlana, it's been great talking with you. And uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. You too, buddy. Take care.